This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. First, a story. A story about uh, a monastery out at the edge of the desert that was suffering much the same fate that so many of our churches are experiencing now. Gradually, the young monks had found more interesting and more active callings and had drifted away from the cloistered existence in the monastery, leaving only the older monks who felt like they had done their work and it was time for someone to take care of them. As the numbers decreased, so did the resources at this monastery, and the old monks started becoming disillusioned, bitter, They started bickering and fighting among themselves over the silliest of things. The abbot, who was a good man, did his best to keep his flock together and to spiritually care for them. But even with him, after a time, it took its toll. One of the little pleasures that he reserved for himself came once a year when he would slip away from the monastery and go out into the desert to pray all night long. At least that's what he told the other monks. In reality, he had long ago discovered that there was a Jewish hermit living out a day's walk into the desert. And so, once a year, he would go out to this hermit and there indulge in the sort of conversation he could never have with the other monks. He would unburden his soul and talk about the sadness of leading a dying community. Of course, it helped that when he would walk out into the desert, he would spirit away a bottle from the monastery's collection in the basement, which he would share with this old Jewish hermit, who in turn would take a little bit of sugar and cinnamon that he had reserved all year long and make a babka. So there, amidst the desert stars, they would pour out their souls. How long, the abbot would say, how long must we, make, must we wait for the Messiah to return? Surely it's time to come back now? To which the old hermit would respond, what are you whining about? At least yours came once. I'm still waiting for mine. 
he'd pour another glass of wine. They'd enjoy another slice of the sweet roll. And they would talk about how the world seemed to be falling apart. No one seemed to be concerned about spiritual things anymore. Nobody seemed to be looking for the coming of the Messiah. Finally, after a long period of sharing their woes, they went off to sleep. Their parting words always being to each other, I'll pray for you. In the morning, as the abbot was gathering together his things to go back, the hermit walked them to the door and said, for whatever it's worth, I want you to know that I prayed for you all night long, at least until I fell asleep. But then I had a dream. And I dreamed that the Messiah had come to your monastery. Imagine that. The Messiah coming to a bunch of goyim. Well, the abbot did imagine that. And indeed was so moved by these words that the hermit had spoken that when he got back to the monastery, he forgot to keep up the pretense about him praying alone in the desert. And when he was asked by Brother Philip just why he looked so shocked, he told him, because a wise man told me the Messiah had come to our monastery. And he walked off to his cell, leaving Brother Philip to wonder if maybe he had indulged in a little too much of the fruits of their cellar, because after all, his secret wasn't as good as he thought. They knew that he slipped off into the desert, taking a bottle with him. But it made Brother Philip wonder. And so he ran down the list of the other monks in his mind and thought, well, surely it can't be Brother Thomas, he's always losing his temper. He's a grouchy old cuss, always arguing about things. But then again, wasn't it Jesus who drove the money changers from the temple? Wasn't it Jesus who showed a righteous anger? And he thought, well, maybe, could it be Brother Mark? Surely not Brother Mark. After all, he's over the wine supply, and he's been known to steal a few bottles, a little overindulgence. But then he thought, but wasn't it Jesus who turned the water into wine? Could it be? Gradually, the word filtered through the monastery, and Brother Mark wondered if it might be Brother Philip. Yeah, he's a good soul, but he's stupid. He can't remember even the simplest of psalms. But then again, wasn't Jesus a simple soul? Wasn't it he who said, let the children come to me? Well, the monks tried to think this through, 
to wonder if it could possibly be so. But the only thing they knew for sure, each one of them, was that they weren't the Messiah. But they couldn't be sure about the others. And so rather than take a chance, they started being a little kinder to each other. Brother Mark helped Brother Philip memorize his psalms so he wouldn't be embarrassed anymore at the services. Brother Philip helped calm Brother Thomas down when he got a little carried away, reminding him that Jesus loved him and that every now and then, on a full stomach, he did too. The monks started looking at each other with new eyes and started treating each other with new respect until the word started to sift out of the monastery to the surrounding community that here was a place of unusual spirituality where the monks acted with unusual humility and love toward one another and young people began to show up at the doors asking to be admitted into this unusual and special place, asking to be taught just what it was to wait for the Messiah to come and just how to watch for his coming. It's a story that I've heard before. I never have heard it attributed to anyone, which probably means it's made up. But every time I hear that story, it makes me think about just what it is that we are supposed to be celebrating here tonight. A birth that took place over 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet in a small inconsequential town called Bethlehem among people who made up the smallest tribe of these Israelites. And none of us were there. None of us saw it. All we have are the second and third hand accounts of people who came later to tell us about it. We don't know just how it took place. Rather, we know the story that these later storytellers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, well, not Mark. Wait a minute, not Mark, Matthew. Well, I mean, one of them didn't tell it. All we have are the words that they give us, their account of this birth. And more importantly, the effect that it had on them. And already by the time they tell the story, they are telling about this wondrous child who was born. And as time went on, it seems the story becomes more and more embellished. The child becomes more and more special until we sing songs I love you, Lord Jesus. No crying he makes. I've never met a child who didn't cry. 
Until finally we're left with this image of a child who, who glows with a heavenly light, who, who bestows benedictions on all who come to see him and who does not leak. And yet in the stories we're told, this kid's wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? He's wrapped in swaddling clothes because he does the same stuff that other babies do. And the shepherds that came to see him had to be told where he was by a bunch of angels. And the wise men who would later come to see him had to be guided by a specially commissioned star. I wouldn't have thought it would have been so hard if there was a glowing baby in Bethlehem. Word would have gotten out. But I suspect it was because he was just like every other child. And I think this is where we come to the wonder of this evening. This is where we come to the miracle that we celebrate tonight. Not that this miraculous child was born, but that a normal, indistinguishable child was born in which our God became one of us. That's the part that's hard to hold on to. That's the part that is hard to own. Because it seems like we are forever trying to push God back up into heaven and then erect golden ladders so that we can climb up to join God there. And failing to own the simple foundational fact of our faith that God is down here with us. In this stuff. Such that we can look at our hands and see Jesus. We can look in the mirror and see Jesus. We can look at the person next to us and see Jesus. We were not there at the birth, but we gather together to worship. And here, as we do so, we celebrate the ongoing miracle of Christ's birth as he comes to us again in bread and wine. And we once more become the one body of Jesus. Each and every one of us. And if that is so, then we cannot look at each other except to see Jesus. And like those monks in the monastery, it might behoove us, therefore, to see each other with new eyes and to treat each other with a little more respect, with a little more love, to see each other for the wonder that each one of us is. We are the life that God created. And God has come to us in order to embrace us into God's kingdom. 
and in order to renew us in his love. We are God's flock. God is our shepherd. And once again, he is born to us tonight. So let us raise our voices like those angels did before to sing the praises of this miracle, of this wonder that we give witness to again. Amen.